Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. So it's not very often I get to do these at this time of day. This is quite an early time of day to do an interview with a rock and roll star, Michael. Is that right? Yeah. Oh. Even the sober ones tend to sleep in past midday. Yeah. <laughs> well, you miss the day. I like to get up early because uh, otherwise, I mean, the day goes by so fast. So you can enjoy more of the time. It's a nice day. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful part of London as well. And you were just saying a moment ago that many years back you used to live pretty much exactly on this, on this street. Road. On this, yeah, even more road. Right down, I forgot the number of it, but uh, it's by where those two trees are on the second floor. I've lived there for almost was it, a, year and a, a year and a half, something like that, almost two years. How long were you in London in total? Was there like an extended block of time where you were here permanently? We, yeah, we, we, we kind of settled here in uh, 80, 1982. We finally settled in here and stayed here. We, we came, the first time we came was like 81. 81, 82, we kind of settled, uh, we, we became, we were based in London with Hanoi Rocks, and... Uh, what was the driving force behind that decision? Was it just that the music scene here at that time was really happening? And Well, yeah, well, uh, well, I don't know if the music scene was really happening, but that was where the scene was, I mean, right. we created our own scene when we came here. Definitely. But uh, this was like the centre of uh, where, where everything's at in this connections to other countries and you know we just wanted to get good inter- base. international to get out of Scandinavia that was our first goal to get first of all to get out of Finland because back in the late 70s it was crazy you know there was all these 
James Dean kids, we call them, his greasers. Everybody looked like happy days, you know. <laughs> Richie Cunningham and Fonzie, and you get you got your ass kicked if you're, uh, you know, looked at different long hair or anything, you know. It was crazy. So we, <laughs> one of the first objective was to get out of Finland. We started out in Stockholm on the streets, you know, the first half year we lived on the streets and stuff. But then we relocated uh, to London. Uh, it went, it went, yeah. So we wanted to get to. Uh, you know, the center of the action and uh, get internationally, you know, expand our fame internationally. And uh, the, that was a, it was an interesting trip. Uh, I'm glad that I was born in Finland, because otherwise I wouldn't have seen half the things I've seen on my way to wherever I am, you know. What was it like growing up in Finland in the 60s? 60s, well, I was born in 1962, so uh, I was, it was, I had a nice childhood, you know, I had my, Although my parents, they broke up, they split up uh, when I was about 11, I think. Uh, but I'm glad they did, because it was better that they split up than to be arguing and the kids have to listen to that. It was pretty but, much the same time for me. My parents broke up when I was 12, and uh-huh. it was the same thing. Like, they were pretty much killing each other. Yeah, I'm glad so, that they, yeah, it's better that they break up, I think, yeah. than staying together. Some people say, yeah, stay together for the kids, so I think it's bad for the kids if you have to listen to people fighting. And, Absolutely. Yeah, so I was. I had a happy childhood. and. Uh, Did you have brothers or sisters growing up? Yeah, two older brothers. Two I older had. brothers. Yeah, but I was the first one. I left home when I was 17. I was underage. Uh, my mother would have, could have stopped me if she wanted to, the cops. But uh, I said, if you call the cops, I'm never, you're never going to see me again. And, yeah. you know, I mean, it, was, it was hard. But, uh, what drove you away? Did you just want to explore the world? You, rock you had band. That. I had the best rock band. I thought, you know, I'm never going to, never, probably not going to have a chance like that with uh, me and uh, Andy McCoy had gotten to know each other when I was like 14, 15, something like that. At school or kind of at gigs? No, uh, at a rehearsal place. I had a band uh, in which I played guitar because I didn't have a guitarist, uh, even though I just want, I wanted to be the singer. And then Andy was rehearsing with his other band, uh, Beard. It was the first record, uh, punk band, first punk band in Finland who, who, that made a record. They made a, their first single. Was wow. Called uh, I Really Hate You. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, uh, yeah, of course, yeah. So uh, uh, we met at that rehearsal place and uh, we started talking. And uh, first I was going to join them as a guitarist and then... And uh, Andy realized that I was into a bit different kind of stuff because uh, their singer said, yeah, if you cut your hair, you can be in the band. Like, like, oh, yeah, this is the punk fashion. It's like, forget it. Rock and roll, is, to me, it was about being an individual. And being freedom. Yourself. And, yeah, right. freedom and long hair, of course. You know, <laughs> so I said, forget it. So me and Andy started planning, planning for the band. And uh, then we, it took a couple of years before we got it together. In 79, we left, uh, left Finland and moved to Stockholm. And, uh, Do you remember what you packed? Yes, I had I also actually I hadn't finished my school. I was in uh, what is it? Um, it's not it's not high school, is it? Uh, I always get them mixed up. College, college, uh, yeah, junior high. Junior high. Yeah, and before like a few months before it ended, we had like a class trip to Stockholm. You know, take the ferry to Stockholm. A lot of Finns do that. Go there for the weekend and get drunk and come back. Yeah. We used to do uh, that in Cornwall. Was, was oh really? Was our move that was down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had a my uh, my ice hockey bag. Where I used to have my ice, ice hockey gear. I, uh, I had my 150 vinyl records. 150 vinyls. <laughs> yeah, at least. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't traveling light. No, I brought them along, and uh, after we got to Stockholm, I said to all my classmates, I said, "Okay, I hope I never see you again." I'm out. Yeah, I'm out of here. Bye. And then I met Andy at the subway station, and we went to uh, we had this. One room flat where three of us lived, uh, the other guitar player, and uh, you know, uh, 
well, yeah, that was my, I left home. But, you know, my two older brothers were still, when I, half, first half a year I was gone uh, on the streets. I never, I didn't let my parents know anything, you know. Uh, you didn't ride in court? No, no, because uh, they didn't approve of the, of your life choice. Yeah, well, actually, my my father did, always said, yeah, do whatever feels right with my... Your course, dad I, was a, like a broadcaster, right? Yeah, radio na- announcer. Yeah, like a really the old, old school, uh, proper uh, language, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was one of the legendary radio voices that, you know, announced... I mean, when I was a kid, there were only two, two Finnish stations and one Swedish station, uh, like three radio channels and... Two TV channels. Black and so white his TV. listenership would have been in the in the millions. Would it have been? What his listenership would have been? Would it have been in the yeah millions? millions uh, yeah, because uh, Finland is what a little over five million people. So more, at so least half of those people were probably tuning in. Yeah, and especially old people. You know, late at night they were lonely. You know, he had a he had a um, unique kind of voice, a kind of very soft uh, sound compared to most radio announcers. So uh, he had, you know, nice personality and stuff. And People uh, warmed to him. Yes, people loved him. He was very, very much liked. And, uh, was he a music guy? He loved music, but classical mainly. Right. And um, uh, I had a... Uh, my my mother was also musical. My, my grandfather was a cello player in a symphony orchestra, and his father was an oboe player also. Wow. Professional musicians. Uh, although my grandfather told my mother to get a... Get a real profession, and then you can play as much as you like. Because <laughs> <And laughs> music to, wasn't a career to them; it was a, a hobby or a yeah. A yeah, for my mother, my mother plays piano from the notes, and she's really really musical, but not professionally. But uh, my grandfather was a professional musician. Uh, he for fun he used to play saxophone at jazz clubs at nights or something. You know, I heard. What was the first instrument you picked up? Uh, piano. Piano. When I was about five. My mother made me t- start taking piano lessons, and I could all I learned the notes and everything, but I could always play better with. By, by ear. One time I said to the teacher, can I play it without looking at the notes once? And uh, he said, oh, go ahead. So I played it perfectly, whatever that piece was. And I said, oh, wow, that's pretty good. Said, yeah, it's easier to not to look at the notes. But then I got into rock and roll. I mean, first I was into classical music and that's all I heard. Uh, so you but, were into it. You did enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, I did enjoy it, uh, but not as much as rock and roll. Yeah, when yeah. I discovered which, rock and which roll. were the rock and roll bands that set your heart alight? Well, Black Sabbath. I saw them on TV. There was this show uh, live in Paris, nineteen seventy. Black Sabbath, and I was like, wow, that guy with the long hair going crazy on stage. Was, wow, I could, I could do that. Mm-hmm. And the sound was so powerful and big, and I was like, I was in awe. I was like, yeah, this is something cool, and really, really wanted to be like that. You know, that's really what started me off. Uh, mind you, my great-grandfather was friends with Sibelius, Jean Sibelius, the composer, you know, uh, Finnish big name, you know, up there with Beethoven and everybody. You know, he, uh, they were in contact, he took, some, he took some theory lessons from Sibelius, and then they were in pen pals, and uh, he had an oboe that used to belong to Sibelius, too. It's just a little thing, you know, so musical family. It's there in the DNA. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So when I saw Black Sabbath, I was like, "Wow!" And and, I, and then I realized on the piano I could play down, down, down. <laughs> yeah, music is music. So so I wanted to start taking piano lessons uh, out of my own choice. Uh, I told my mother, "Can I?" There was a guy who lived a few few stories up in our building who who uh, gave piano lessons, uh, uh, and uh, that's where me and my other brother also took some lessons. But then they kind of they weren't that interested. In it. I wanted then I myself wanted to take, start taking lessons, 
And then self-taught on guitar, I saw this guy play once, and I was like, wow, he's playing a basic, you know, 12-bar rock and roll progression. And I was like, wow. Then he left the room and left the guitar there, and I was like, well, that's how it goes. Yeah. So I learned So you that. kind of picked guitar up fairly quickly. It was sort of in there because of what you learned through the classical music and yeah. learning piano. And could you read music as well? Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, I, I studied. I, I started studying flute playing. I also like flute, uh, the flute. I so you've the flute. always been a real multi-instrumentalist. Yeah. 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 The, flute, the flute. I played. From, you know, from the notes, reading the notes, and uh, that kind of helped me pick up the sax when I decided to buy a saxophone and start playing the sax. Uh, the fingering position. Uh, that it, it helps. When you if you if you studied the flute before you go into getting to playing the sax, then that helps. But the other way around, I don't think it works that well. <laughs> but, I always uh, like it when you hear rock and roll brands bring in the saxophone, whether it's Exile on Main Street or the right. early Hanoi Rock stuff. Like, there's not many bands that do it, and when they do do it, it's so good, it's so different. Yeah, and it should be in there, right? Going back to Little, Little Richard, Richard and James Brown, and exactly piano, saxophone. It's part of the rock and roll thing. I mean, that's how I started playing. I uh, do Little Richard records and the coasters and stuff like that. He's the greatest, I think, still to this day. He, you can put on any of his songs, and they sound more. To me, anyway, anarchic yes. and rebellious mm-hmm. and dangerous. Exactly. R- Little Richard, the best rock and roll singer still to this day. Best rock and roll singer of, of all time, hands down. No question about it. Amen. Yes. I mean, listen to Elvis's Tutti Frutti and Little Richard's Tutti Frutti. There's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. worlds apart, Little isn't it? Rich, yeah, right? I mean, God bless Elvis, you know, he yeah. combined the, you know, the crossover, the white and black thing. Uh, really made a lot of progress with that. But, I mean, when you listen to the music, Little Richard, he's the punk. He's he's got the punk, the glam, the everything, the rock and roller, the best, and he's still alive. I know it's God incredible, isn't it? Bless him. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see him live? Yes, yeah. I saw him and I got to meet him too. Really? Yes. What was he like? It was fantastic. I mean, little Stephen, uh, my was my best friend in New York when I was, all those years I lived in New York for ten years with uh, little Stephen, uh, being my very good buddy and uh, the, uh, he uh, he knew little Richard when because when Stephen got married to his wife Maureen little Richard did the ceremony because he's a minister a minister as well yeah yeah so he, he he married them actually and they had Percy Sledge singing When a Man Loves a Woman wow how do you right. top that how, how do you top that <laughs> every guest at that wedding the female guests are going well you ain't going to top that yeah right <laughs> cancel the wedding right right the <laughs> ultimate rock and roll wedding so uh, we went to see him. It was Little Richard's 60th birthday gig. Uh, he did three nights at, at a club called The Tramps in New York, in Manhattan, and uh, two sets a night. And it was incredible. I mean, he was all the tempos were real, like fast, like in the 50s, you know, really rocking. And, and all his comments, all this. Uh, let all the women go, woo, let all the men go, oh, oh my soul. Like, yeah, when you my do that, soul. When, yeah, when you do that, you make my big toe shoot up in my boots. And, <laughs> <laughs> let it all hang out for the beautiful little Richard. Just the master front man as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Incredible. I mean, he could be a stand-up. <laughs> he could do a stand-up almost. But yeah, it's incredible. He had the audience. And Stephen went, we, after the show, we went backstage and uh, he, uh, he was he came out of the room with his, with his minders and he was like, he looked me out to bottom Oh my! <laughs> That's the reaction you want, right? Yeah, I was. Well, I, I wanted his autograph. I, there's very few people I've asked for an autograph. One is Alice Cooper and for on the Love It to Death album, and then uh, Nazareth. I asked to sign that cool picture in this inside the gatefold of uh, the Loud and Proud album. That was one of my favorite albums of all time. And then 
Les Paul and Eli Wallach. Did you get the a, actor Eli Wallach? Did you get a guitar signed by Les Paul? What did you get signed? No, I just got a paper. Right, right. Piece of paper. I didn't have. And any, Eli I didn't have a Les Paul back then. Eli Wallach is the ugly, right? From the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. The Bad and the Ugly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. He was the ugly, but he was he was a hey, blondie. He yeah, was yeah, shoot, yeah. shoot, don't talk. <laughs> yeah, my America's uh, my late wife. Uh, my late wife's uh, uncle uh, had this party in New York. He had a lot of you know uh, people. Uh, with, uh, old time Hollywood actors yeah some some uh, and you know a lot of like that kind of famous people and Eli Wallach was there with his wife and I had to I had to ask is it from an old cowboy Eli Wallach <laughs> <laughs> did he write Hey Blondie you know, no but then you know at the dinner uh, meeting uh, I mean at the dinner uh, everybody had to just, like stand up and explain who they were to say a little bit, bit about themselves so I said you know who I am what I do I'm a rocker rock singer and, and but uh, to uh, quote uh, Eli Wallach from a famous movie, uh, Hey Blondie, you want to shoot? Shoot, don't talk. <laughs> 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 However, so Little Richard had this old picture from the 50s where he's like, he's clapping his hands like, ah, with a crazy look in his and face. And eyes bulging out of his Yeah, head, yeah, yeah, exactly. And he, wrote, he just wrote, to Michael, God bless Richard. That's so, amazing. Yeah, he's the king and the queen of rock and, and that's roll. That's it, right? If Elvis is the king, then I'm the queen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I, you know, saxophone always. I thought that's a nice color here and there. A couple of songs in the album always, and then the blues harp that that I picked myself. Andy actually gave me a harp, and he says, "What's this? It's a blues harp. Stop playing." Stop blowing on it. I was like, yeah, sucking and blowing. That's what I'm still doing, sucking and blowing. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, little Walter is the one, the, the the pioneer, and you know, he's. He's, I think, still the best, you know, ever. Uh, but I also like, you know, Jay Gall's band, Magic Dick. He's amazing. And uh, I play the blues punk style, I call it. You know, my, my heart playing a bit. You know, on Dead Yellow Rock and Roll, the sound was, I just rigged it up. And, uh, you know, those rock man little boxes they had? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tom Schultz or whatever. Uh-huh. Developed. I put the mic on the, uh, I put it on the edge. They had a distortion and then the edge setting. On the edge setting, I had a... 58 or, or 57, sure, Mike. That, that's the sound in the Dead Jello Rock and Roll. Like, I remember little Steven came to the studio. I says, wow, it's great sound on the harp, man. It's, yeah, the rock man. <laughs> <laughs> Who were the singers for you that first inspired your style, or did you want to just always from the start develop your own? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, apart from Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath, um, Alice Cooper. When, when we had, I mean, I was into Sabbath, and then... We got, my, my father used to, he bought us uh, rock records. I guess he just went into the record store and figured, you know, he asked what's, what, what the kids listen to these days. And thank God those days, they listened to like the Led Zeppelin, the Sabbath, Deep Purple, and whatever, you know, Alice Queen. Cooper. Yeah. Well, I got to say Queen. I discovered Queen. I saw their photo, a uh, picture of them in a, in a magazine. And I, 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 the Sheer Heart Attack album had just come out and, I was like, wow, what a cool looking band. I gotta go and get this record. So I went to buy the album and the guy at the store said, oh, so you were at the concert last night. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and that would have been the best time to see Queen. Right. Sheer Heart Attack. That's still to me the best Queen album of all time. That's my favorite. By it has my favorite Queen song on there. Which one? The first hit. Oh, Killer Queen? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And it's just now perfection. I'm here. Yeah, Rising Rock Now I'm Here. Uh, 
uh, Stone Cold Crazy. And uh, Although your friend Ginger actually introduced me, because I kind of missed the boat on Queen growing up, and he introduced me to the album on um, News of the World, the album, and there's a the song, song there. The song, It's It's one of my favourite songs of Queen all time. Roger Taylor is singing, and he plays the rhythm guitar on that too. That uh, is such a cool... We were just talking with um, um, Taylor Hawkins. Uh, uh, yeah, about he's that probably song. the world's biggest Queen fan, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, so they uh, just did Glastonbury, and he performed... Um, which song did they do? God, uh, Under Pressure. Oh, really? Yeah, Dave did drums, and Taylor came out and, no way. and sang it. I mean, you, you were just saying before we turned the microphones on that you just got on stage with them. Yeah, in, in Helsinki. In Helsinki. Yeah, what just, I love about that band, and then you can... Whoop, then you can tell your uh, your story that night is that they seem to still be so excited and invigorated by rock and roll music and they pay their dues to everyone who they think is worthy of acknowledgement they're not one of those bands that try and ignore the past or say we're the greatest thing since sliced bread they say no this guy is the real deal absolutely we're just carrying the torch that's right that's one of the reasons I love them so much and I'm so happy that they're as big as they are they really deserve it and they should be there because they're, they're authentic rock and roll it's, it's very it's rare these days, and, and that's why we need people like that. Uh, they're so good, so tight, so right. So much the right style of playing and right kind of attitude. Uh, great songs, great style. And they pay homage to all these, all the greats of rock and roll. And How long have you known them? Uh, we've uh, actually known well, Chris Shiflett. Uh, Chris Shiflett was playing in a band called Lost Kittens back in 89, and they opened up for me in, uh, on the Not Faking It tour in uh, Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara in, uh, in the States when I was doing that tour. And he told me, actually, he was... I mean, he used to have, like, a kind of same kind of hair even back then. And he was, um, he was, he was into... Um, Hello, and, and my work, um, apparently he'd taken a fan picture a couple of years earlier in L.A. when I was there, around the night just a long time. And, uh, but his friend had a finger in front of the lens, so his oh, picture no. didn't come out. But <laughs> then we met the first time in 89 back then. Wow. You know. yeah, but, 30 years. But, yeah. Almost. So, almost, yeah. But then we opened up for them in Helsinki in 2010. It was the first gig that Dragan was in my band. Dragan had just joined. It was his first show. 30,000 people, you know, <laughs> so uh, that's when we met and uh, really got along great and uh, really loved their show and uh, loved those guys and uh, really, really, uh, really became, uh, you know, right away we hit it off with the same kind of people. Yeah, and, rock and rollers, right? Yes, that's right, and uh, with a heart, and then now they played in, uh, on uh, two weeks ago, on Monday, they played in, uh, in Helsinki in uh, I had my harps with me and stuff, of course. And uh, I just mentioned to Dave, I said, "You need some? You want a harp solo somewhere? I'm, I'm here." He says, "Oh, okay, great." So <laughs> they ended up inviting me on stage three times. I wanted to do uh, the middle section of Pretender, you know, jamming them on the harp and then uh, singing a chorus in the end there uh, when Dave's doing the the melody that he does on that slow part at the same time. Uh, that was a huge honor and great fun. And then they invited me up to do. The, they played Miss You, Rolling Stones, which I've never played. But, you know, did the harp and uh, made up some words and uh, we had fun. <laughs> Taylor was singing part of it and, you know, it was great. It was this place by the beach and, you know, where they were playing, like 50,000 people. Oh, no, 25,000, between 25 and 30,000. Big crowd. People loved it, of course, because I'm locally... Uh, now Hometown hero, yeah. Local <laughs> yeah. National hero, pretty much. Uh, I'm saying humbly, but it's true. So uh, the, uh, then they invited me. I stayed around for uh, the, 
best of you, the, the, that song, even though I had the wrong harp, I was, you know, improvising, doing my best to adapt, and uh, uh, they were loving it. I was loving it, having a great time. Then in the end, they invited me up for uh, ACDC, Let There Be Rock. That was the end of the whole show. We did Let There Be Rock, and it was a killer. I had such a great time. That was really, that's in YouTube, uh, you can find that, but uh, really, such a great time. And we had so much fun. It was it was crazy. It was <laughs> really really great. <laughs> Do they so, party? Because the thing with Dave is he seems to always be so in control, and he never seems to be to me one of those people that loses his cool. Yeah, no, he's he's never he, he's he's never been into drugs or anything. I even mentioned it. he's never even tried cocaine in his life, not once. I said, good for you, man. That's lucky. You know, it's like you don't need that shit. So uh, sorry, I said. No, you can say whatever you want. Great. Okay. Whatever you want. <laughs> Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's another band. I love all that stuff. So good, right? Yes. But uh, as, as we were saying about, you know, Finnish music, I mean, God bless the, uh, the Foo Fighters, one of the greatest bands of all time, I think. Oh, and God bless them for still being there. I just love those guys. and uh, They're the greatest. More bands like that. We need more bands like that. So... Uh, music in Finland, as going back to what we were talking about, the records, when I found the Queen record and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. My father went to buy some rock records at the time, and my oldest brother got Led Zeppelin too. That was the first rock record we got in the family. and uh, That's I, the best one, right? Uh, Zeppelin-wise, well, what's your favorite? Um, well, I like... That one's pretty good, actually, yeah. It, it is one of... Wasn't it done like one of the four-track machine or something? I heard that they had like a four-track mobile studio on the road or something. Wow. Like, really incredible. But as there's so little in the production of people, you know, the drums sound really big and everything, but it's because there's not that much else there. It's just bass and guitar and maybe an overdub solo or something, but really it's a lot of space for the drums. It's not like, he's not hitting him so hard. It's more like a Motown kind of drum. He, apparently, uh, John Bonham like Motown players and great, great grooves and stuff and really uh, not not what you would, some people think is like hitting him like, you just know, some monster, wood, just, yeah, boom, yeah. bash, boom, bash. It's not really that. It's more like this, the production is smart because there's not too much, not so much stuff there. So you can, there's a lot of space for them. Uh, if you want to hear big drum sound, you, you know, Little Feet? Yeah, yeah. Saving yeah, Shoes, yeah. that album. The second song, Cold, 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 when the drums, that, I, I use that, That uh, that's one of my reference uh, songs for drum sounds in the studio. Whenever I'm in the studio, that's one of the ones Give me I that. compare to. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you want that big, the snare, a heavy, obviously this, it's tuned pretty low snare, but it is so old, toms, and it's got those fat, you know, symbols that go like Charlie Watts, like waves crashing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you get Led Zeppelin too. Led Zeppelin too is uh, that's one of the great. I mean, the first few uh, up until like Physical Graffiti, I think they're all great. I mean, the Houses of the Holy was very different. I love that one. Jamaica man, like Led Zeppelin doing reggae music. Yeah, and uh, James Brown, take me to the bridge. What yeah, was that? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was good that they weren't like resting on their laurels. Uh, they were trying to, you know, be an experimental. Absolutely, yeah. But that was, uh, you know, I thought the band was like this big crowd of people that were on the cover of the album. I thought it was like all these people on the band. I didn't realize just four people in the, in the end, you know, because I just saw that cover. You know. But uh, you ever that. met Jimmy Page? Yes, uh, right by uh, Olympia here in the rehearsal place. Uh, just in passing, you know, he was 
walk in the water and say, hey, how you doing? Hello. You look very happy. <laughs> so smiling. Somebody said, yeah, he's smiling all the way to the bank. <laughs> but he seemed like really such a cool guy. And I saw him play with the, what's the firm? Or with the, with the, when John Miles was singing in New York, they played at the Ritz. I was uh, there with my... Uh, Ahmed Ertegan uh, from Atlantic Records. Uh, his niece was going was uh, the girlfriend of my very good friend who was one of the Hells Angels who lived across the street in New York. You know, I lived across the street from the Angels in New York for 10 years. And, uh, you lived across with... the street from the Hells Angels for yeah. 10 years? Yeah. Well, you must have seen some stuff during that time. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so never a dull moment, man. My first, my debut Put me gig... in the picture of uh, your average or perhaps out-of-the-ordinary day <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in I that place my, at that time with my... those cats around. Yeah, my first, my uh, debut solo gig in America after I moved there, it was like 87, was the, the Hells Angels block party. They had a, the 4th of July party. They used to uh, block off the street and they put a big uh, flag in, uh, um, uh, on, you know, between the buildings, American flag and their logo underneath. I have some photos here, I'll show you. Uh, of that show, see? It was, oh, wow, yeah. Hang on. Uh, this is from my, from my book. Uh, uh, this is where I lived. I lived right there. That's my living room. Those are my bedrooms. Amazing. So they had that flag, you know, the, the angels are on this side, the clubhouse. I'm across the street on East 3rd Street between 1st and 2nd Avenue. Uh, I just put a band together a couple of days before and, you know, support your local angels. And they blocked <laughs> the street, so that flag is like, my friend Eddie was knocking, knocking on my door in the morning. He says, yo, Mike, can you use your fire escape? Said, yeah, yeah, fine, go ahead. So they, there's another guy on the other side of the, uh, the other building across the way was, they rigged up the American flag and then the logo there. So when you look down the block, you can see it was, was blocked. There's no question about it. Two days and nights, total like downtown. Non-stop. Non-stop uh, fireworks, like <laughs> noise, windows breaking, and it was crazy. So that was my debut gig in New York. Wow! In America, you know, as a solo artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, then that's uh, amazing. Is this book out yet, or are you making it at the this moment? This is uh, actually There's uh, you and Lemmy and finished uh, so far. But uh, the uh, the American <laughs> three of triple threat: me, Steve Bader, and Lemmy. Wow! <laughs> that was the backstage at Electric Ballroom. Anyways, yeah, yeah. The book book is uh, we're working on getting it translated now. The Hanoi Rocks book is out in English, though. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, uh, all those wasted years ago. Was it all over a broken dream? No, all those, all those wasted years. years yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's that's been translated now. So the next step is to get the Michael Monroe book uh, translated. Well, we look is, forward to that. Yeah, me too. It's it's going to be. Have you always been quite on it when it comes to documenting visually your life? Have you got plenty of pictures from various different? Yeah, I have a lot life? of pictures, uh, and and the book, like the Hanoi book, my own book, is full of pictures. A lot of I've saved a lot of stuff over the years. And uh, having, uh, you know, uh, have a lot of uh, stuff. Because uh, I like to read books with a lot of photos, you know. With um... Well, nothing puts you in a time and place quite like an image, does it? They do say that obviously a picture is worth a thousand words, and it's true. Yeah, that's right. That's true. And uh, it's nice to get give an idea of what was going on, you know, back then. Uh, when, uh, you know, you're talking about this place or, you know, your stories refer to some, some place. It's nice to have a photo there and... Then you don't get tired. If you read too much of the text with no photos, no pictures, then you kind of like get. Sometimes you just go through a couple of pages, and realize you haven't taken anything in. Mm -hmm. I guess it's like music. You need the chorus or the melody. Yeah, and it's melody, especially. I love melodies, and I would like to have a bit more melody in music in general these days. In this day and age, nowadays people just talk to a drum beat, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's considered music. But that let's not go there now. <laughs> As we were well, saying, let's, about let's the rock bands. 
Yeah, Let's I mean, go to London. When you first moved to London, tell yes. me about some of the musical characters that you first befriended and got to know. And yeah, First of all, uh, may I just say the Alice Cooper thing, you know, when we got the Led Zeppelin album. Oh, yeah, of course. Then, yeah, uh, yeah. then, uh, then we got Love It To Death, my Fireball, Fireball, Deep Purple. That was the first album I owned myself. Uh, I got as a gift. From my, my father bought it for me as a birthday present. I love the, that song. The solo in No, No, No. That song, No, No, No. That guitar solo with Richard Blackmore is the best guitar solo that he's ever done in my book. You know, I love that slide solo, the whole whole thing and the whole jam and stuff. And I don't know why so many guitarists uh, who quote Richie Blackmore as their idol, they missed all that cool blues stuff that he's doing. That really, it's not about playing all these fast licks and you know million notes a second. You know, anybody can do that technically good. But it's not, that's the feel. And he's, such, he's got such a great feel in the blue stuff that I don't know why those guys would miss all that stuff. However, Alice Cooper, Love It To Death. That was that one that I thought, oh, what a cool band. And that's when I, I thought, you know, Little Richard was wearing makeup, had a hairdo and everything. Alice had the makeup. That's when I started wearing makeup. You know, so Alice was, was the style icon, perhaps. Yeah, very much. And then, uh, I mean, later on, I got into punk. And, you know, Steve Bader's was, was the next step from that to me. He was the epitome of punk cool, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alice has great theater, theatrics and stuff, but still was a bit more, more of a more street look. Street look, yeah, and more like you got somebody hit him over the head with a bottle of CBG, <laughs> and he, he was bleeding, and he, he sang it until he passed out from loss of blood. And he, he, he hung himself with the mic cord, you know, once and by accident, once for real. And he died on stage. He was clinically dead for quite a, quite a while. And wrote his note. He used to climb up on the lighting rig and with the mic cord around his neck and it was still holding himself up and it was like hanging there and one time his hand was sweaty and it was maybe a little out of it so all of a sudden the roadies noticed he had like piss pouring down his leg and it was turning blue so they took him down and he was actually dead clinically dead for quite a while and they, they revived him and you know they told him a week later they didn't tell they're telling him at first and then they said you know do you realize that you died I said wow Wow, and the only regret he had was that he hadn't experienced out-of-body experience. <laughs> I was like, shit, I don't remember anything. So I blacked out, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, what? that guy was... That's like, rock and roll, right? Yeah. When, we, when Hanoi Rocks was breaking up after Razzle died, I moved in with Steve in, in London. I moved him from, from Avon Moore Road from down here to Portobello, or off of Labrador Grove at Rundle Gardens. Now, we had a great flat on the top floor. We got to the rooftop and everything. And that was, We lived together all, most of the year 85 until the end of the end of the year i moved to new york then too but uh tell yeah, me tell me so, about that year then in london with Steve. london when oh that, that was well so johnny thunders moved in as well <laughs> he'd, wow. be, he'd been thrown out of his uh he had a his girlfriend in stockholm and their the family threw him out of the apartment and the, he was like homeless and so i said yeah so you can stay here and uh, so there's the three of you living together in the flat yes, london yes. in 1985 yes yes in, in london that was that was definitely <laughs> never a dull moment. I mean, uh, Steve was on the road a lot, though. So I was uh, I was there with Johnny a lot, and I was making the decision to stop Hanoi Rocks to maintain to save uh, the maintain the integrity and just to go to show that there's at least one band that doesn't just do it for the money. You know, it was, it was a the situation was such that it could have been really big band and. Uh, it would have been even worse that way because uh, it would have been a curse because if people had gotten to know Hanoi and the, the wrong Hanoi, you know, because there was the spirit and the band and what, it, what we had with Razzle, you know, that was really special. Do you uh, think that the band perhaps died with him then? Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Hanoi Rocks died with Razzle, I think. Yeah. The original Hanoi Rocks, that was 
that was the end of it, you know. And then Sammy left also, so we all of a sudden we didn't have a drummer or a bass player, and that was just me and Andy and Nasty, and they were like really down there, and I was like up there, <laughs> so there's no connection, and uh, it was just to me it was more the most important thing was to end the band and uh, maintain the integrity of the band. It was it was really real, it was spontaneous, it was honest from the heart, and really we were really special, you know. And I wanted to maintain the memory of maybe be more like a rarity, and uh, at least uh, have that cool cool uh, thing about the band, you know, that people would know, you know. However, uh, from uh, from singing, I started singing. Alice Cooper is a great influence for singing. Uh, though my mother used to say, "Oh, that's not even singing; he's just screaming." Well, listen to the music. I mean, listen to Killer, the album. It's masterpieces and Billion Dollar Babies. I mean, amazing music, great music. Generation and, Landslide is yeah. lyrically fantastic. Yeah, well. exactly. Genius stuff. That is genius stuff. And but with Bob Ezrin, one of the main reasons we wanted Bob Ezrin to produce uh, um, Two Steps on the Move, you know. That was why, right? His work with Alice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and we really needed that time. It was a time that, that time we really needed some help like from a major producer like that also. And he was, we were planning to keep working with him. Like he, he felt like he felt with Alice Cooper, but with us, you know, that would have been a you know fruitful, fruitful relationship in the future if things had gotten better. But... Um, the last time I saw you, actually, Michael, was at the Alice Cooper show at the O2 when you were with Dante. At the end of the show, it all finished and the lights came on and me and my girlfriend, Olivia, were leaving and we saw you guys. We were like, ah. Oh, we kept And down, you were just down. hanging out watching the show. Yeah. Yeah. Like Boy, a fan, was, uh, still. What? Like a fan, still. Yes, exactly like a fan. I was, I was, I'm, I'm glad Dante is still my friend because I, I, thought I, I was thinking I'm going to alienate him because I was freaking out out of happiness because I, I heard <laughs> they played Halo Flies yeah. all the way... Through and to the end, the same arrangement, everything except the drum solo in the middle it was a little bit an extra, but otherwise it was exactly the same as on the record. I was like, oh, you were God. losing your mind, were you? I was losing my mind. I, just, I can't <laughs> believe they're doing this. It's funny because I mean, you grow up to that stuff, but when I listen to you know later records, well, like Aerosmith, I love the early Aerosmith and uh, Rocks and Toys in the Attic Rocks and, and to- yeah, Last Child, for example. When I, they played that, I, I, I was in uh, in Vilna in Lithuania uh, for doing this. Uh, shoot and uh, uh happened to be there and we got uh, got to the show and I, I i noticed the audience all the new stuff and people are going yeah with the crazy angel and all those things and i was like yeah yeah it's good yes they're fine give me that last child comes, comes like back in the saddle i was like whoa yeah <laughs> and everybody else most of the crowd are like uh-huh, uh-huh. yo yeah okay next <laughs> so i was like it's so funny to see that but yeah i love alice cooper is always and he's such a sweet guy He's such a sweetheart and such a... Isn't he one of the most down-to-earth people ever? Considering what he's seen and been through and achieved and done and... Yeah, so, and so smart and, and so cool in every way. And he invited me up when we did the, We opened up for them in Swindon, 2015. Swindon, uh, Plymouth and Swindon. And in Swindon, he, he invited me up to sing uh, Schools Out. And that was the, one of the greatest nights of my life. I was so happy and, and he introduced me. Where's Michael? <laughs> and uh, I just couldn't believe they had the the backdrop was like the the gatefold of uh, Love It to Death album you know, with the eyes and I, I still I said when I was a kid I had that on my wall you know it's amazing I'm on stage with you now crazy crazy a full circle moment yeah and then then we had on the Facebook lots of people after that were like saying oh I never heard of you before and uh, loved your show and went to get your album right away that's the way it should work you know we should get on 
I just I just hope and pray that we get on a tour like that, you know, opening for Alice or or Foo Fighters or somebody or Guns N' Roses or bands like that who are really cool, who are big and know there's a connection, and uh, you know that would just make sense. Uh, I would love to see what we could achieve that way with this band that I have now because I think it's a very strong live band. And uh, uh, Rich is a friend of mine. I know Rich. Rich is just such a sweet guy, and that's why I love the band too. Is everyone? Everyone's so sweet and so nice, and you know I'm not going to put up with anybody. No, it's not worth having a jerk in the band. I don't, I don't care how good you are. It's still the spirit is so important. And uh, you got to be a gang, right? You got to yeah, go out and fight together. Yeah, be a gang, a family. Yeah, the, the vibe. You know, it takes one guy to ruin it all. You know, and I will not allow that to happen. So you know, I'll be. I would love to see what would happen if we get that got that opportunity one of these days, perhaps. Hopefully. Are you looking forward to playing with Guns in a couple of weeks? Yeah, I am. When was the last time you performed with any of those guys, either as well, that band or? Well, when it was last, he's been in Finland. Uh, he's we usually been opening up for them, and uh, then I've got up, gotten up. Last time we played in uh, the uh, the Ice Stadium, we, we did. Uh, uh, the Lemmy song, uh, uh, Doctor Alibi. Yeah, which yeah. I love those Went lyrics. to the doctor. Yeah. Yeah, Bill Ray. pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's the lyrics. Are That's so the best cool. song. I like that, and I like Ghost, the Ian Asprey song as well on the first album. Yeah, I like that one. Then we did uh, We're All Gonna Die, the Iggy song, <laughs> which is fun too. You know, I've done that before. When slash in 2010, when they played a festival in Finland called Ruiz Rock, uh, I, he invited me up, and we did that song, We're All Gonna Die, and then. Then we did up around the bend the Hanoi Rocks version. When, wow. when Slash starts playing the riff, people I mean, you can see YouTube, people go, Oh fuck, fuck shit. People are flipping out completely. Yeah. So it was great, a great great thrill. And uh, in Japan the same year we did uh, also that's where I broke my broke uh, two uh bones I mean uh, two ribs I broke in that during that one song. My own show earlier on for an hour, nothing happened. Then, Amazing. During that solo when I went to run uh, ran to the mixing board and I kind of slipped and I hit my head back on the barricade and uh, broke two bones. Uh, within four months I broke two two ribs. Uh, I was just healing from that. Just before the Motorhead tour we had in, in the UK, uh, a three-week Motorhead tour, there was like a... But a week before that, I was just thinking that, oh, good, my ribs are almost healed for the tours. And then we had a few shows in Finland, a couple in Sweden and a couple in Finland. And the second to was second or third to last song, the last, last show before we were going to have a week break before the Motorhead tour, I fell off the lighting rig. I've never felt fallen down before. And I uh, hit the stage on my way down. I hit the stage uh, on, the, on, on the way down. I was like oh, four meters or something all the way to the floor. But I... Didn't miss a beat. I kept singing. I saw a video of it, and I, I, you, you would not know if you didn't know. I was just like, oh shit, they went again, man. The other side, you know. But uh, apparently they weren't. I mean, the first time they went really badly, but now, uh, I mean, you can't really do anything about broken ribs. You just no, no, you heal. So the first motorhead right tour, out. I was, yeah, I was all taped up and stuff, and I, uh, you know, I started, uh, with a week uh, during a week, I took one week off from exercise and everything. Then I slowly started doing what I could. And, it was okay. I, I got better, and uh, you know, stuff happens when you do what I do alive. But uh, yeah, um, talk to me about Lemmy, Michael. Lemmy, wow! What a guy, right? What a what unique. What a guy. He's a hero. He's like a one of the Wild West heroes. You know, he was really that, and uh, such a sweet, sweet guy. Heart of gold, and and he was always consistent with his character. Never changed. No matter what he may have done, you know, drinking or whatever, he was always the same guy. That's what I really appreciate in people. That I, it's it's horrible to, to see somebody who are like you know when you see them in the 
they get drunk or high or something, and then they became a, they become like a stranger, you know. Like, who was this guy? Lemmy was always the same, and always always had a sense of justice in that. On that tour, always made sure we had at least some kind of sound check, you know. And then he wanted me to come up to sing uh, "Born to Raise Hell," and uh, actually Mickey D was loving that song. He said, "Michael, you're coming up tonight." I said, "Well, I don't. I'm not the one to decide. Ask Lemmy." So yeah, Lemmy wants you to do it. He says, "Okay, great. Said, All right, fine. Let's do it." And it was so great. I mean, it was a huge honor, and of course, and uh, you know, uh, Lemmy said that he doesn't. At that time, he 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 would. If if I would sing the second verse, it would help him, you know, because he would, would get tired at the end of the show. He says, otherwise he wouldn't have wanted to do that song. So, huge honor, and uh, also uh, opening up for them that three weeks, that was like the best tour of my life. You know? Was it? Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. It's great vibe. The whole, the catering, they had the best catering and the best vibe. Many generations of people working there. It was like a family vibe and uh, really, really sweet people. All of them are really wonderful. I had such a great time on that tour. Uh, really, really nice. And uh, we had a half an hour, whatever. That was like a real tight set. You know, it was like bang, bang, bang. And the first couple of songs, people were kind of, you know, their fans just wondering what's waiting for my blonde make. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, they were wondering why am I there? This <laughs> blonde made up guy, I'm sure. And there were like a couple of songs into it. They're like. And then they realized I'm completely nuts. Okay, he's that's one of why us. he's here. <laughs> he's one of us. And then, of course, it helped to be uh, featuring with Motorhead. And when they played in Finland, by the way, uh, it was, uh, like 2000, I forgot what it was, 12 or 13, uh, December. It was one of the last shows, if not the last show of that tour. They played in uh, this cable factory place in Finland. Uh, they invited me up to do uh, uh, Born to Ra- uh, not Born to Raise Hell, uh, Killed by Death. Nice. And the last gig that they, it was the third to last gig of all, all time that they did was uh, in Helsinki. Uh, I went to do Overkill in the end, <laughs> but uh, Phil Campbell wanted me to play harp on uh, No Class, which would have been great, except <laughs> they tuned a half a step down. So I had a harp, and I don't have absolute here. I can't tell exactly what note you're playing. So, I mean, I had my D harp, but it would be, it was in D flat, of course it would have been. I mean, uh, it was in A flat. They, they were playing normal A, you'd use a D harp. So I said, oh, I don't have a D flat harp. I had one at home, but I didn't have it with me. So so Phil said, yeah, Lemmy's got all the harps, no keys. So they brought me a harp, which didn't have, didn't say what it was, but I figured, okay, this must be D flat. But it was regular D. So so we rehearsed it. I have a video of us rehearsing, and it, was per- it would have been so good. And then I hit the stage to start the song, and I was like, oh, my God, it's a half a step down. So there's, it's impossible to play anything. I was like, oh, shit. So I went to the side of the stage. I dug out an A harp, and somehow I got some notes out of it, and I sucked. It was the worst harp playing I've ever played. But, you know, I kind of, I guess it was, a, it was not people people who didn't know any better. It was probably, you know, I, didn't, I did my best with it. But I was like, Phil, you can't take yourself. Like, he was like, oh, sorry, Mike, sorry. I should have just checked it, but, you know. That's, that happened. I said to Lamy, I was like, oh, I have the wrong heart. He just laughed. It was <laughs> great. But <laughs> but uh, uh, then I got to do uh, Overkill, you know, the, se- the second verse. I went in for a second verse and that, I mean, that, it's so hypnotic when they get into that zone at the end of their show with the Overkill. That is, that is, they're one of the best bands of all time. One of the, you know, the chemistry and they're like, you know, the Stones, ACDC, there's ZZ Top, you know, Motorhead. A real band, real band with uh, with uh, special magical chemistry. And it's really really rare, and the Ramones, 
bands are smart enough to maintain their sound and not not to get carried away with trying out like having some keep with the times or yeah 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 they just like reinvent themselves trends. yeah album after album they do they have that like ACDC would never let you down with a ballad or uh, uh, some symphony orchestra and stuff you, you always know what you're going to get and uh, that's genius to me that's really real skill to be to know what not to play yeah right that's that's one of the key things and sometimes the breaks are the best times and like my drummer too Carl Rockfish he has a, there's a song on the new on the the new compilation called Civil uh, Town which has a any other drummer would have probably done like a fill there but <laughs> yeah, yeah so Carl is total break that was like the best thing you could have done yeah nothing because <laughs> then everyone so, comes back in and headbangs twice as hard don't they yeah, like, then, yeah yeah it has more effect then yes exactly so it's, oh it's easy top for example what's that song under pressure, and then and just before the verse starts, the bass stops for a second. This and then the verse comes in, with that full blast again. So I say, you drop one out, and then you come back in, and it has the effect. That's really smart. I love stuff like that. Little things that make it make it perfect. But yeah, Lemmy was a hero, and God rest his soul. God bless him. I mean, thank God for him, and he's one of the heroes that that's get rock and roll alive and. Uh, should be, should be honored as he deserves to be, and you know, one of the greats. And I wish he would have, he would have stayed stayed here a bit longer. But I could tell, you know, when I saw him that I'm glad I actually, no matter if even even had the, if I had the wrong harp, still I'm glad I played on their third to last show. You know, it was a great honor and um, a really really one of the greatest bands of all time. They're up there with the Stones and uh, you know all that. ACDC and all the all those guys. Yeah, I really miss him. We had some great times, and in London, Steve Bader's introduced me to him. It's the first time I met him. Tell me about that first time. You remember that? Yes, I do. I mean, he already knew about me, and uh, he was really. I was surprised that he was so uh, so uh, supportive and so into what we were doing with Hanoi Rocks because we were so different from the Motorhead. And he was so upset when Razzle died. And we, we went to see, me and Steve took me to see them at the Hammersmith Odeon with uh, Wendy Williams, was, uh, the Plasmatics were opening up for him. And uh, to meet her too. She was great. She could have been like Steve's, Steve's sister or something. She was the same kind of like, you know, bratty and, you know, hi, how you doing? All right. You know? uh, but uh, then Lemmy said, this, you know what, mate? we'll back you up. He offered to have Motorhead back me up as a band because he was so upset about Razzle dying. I was like, whoa, talk about honor. I was like, hey man, do you know how much that means to me? I was just like, I couldn't believe that he said that. But yeah, I said, yeah, go back it up, mate. Even though me with my baby face back then, their fans would have eaten me alive. <laughs> I'm sure like, oh, hey, who is, who is this guy, you know? Who's that chick on stage? Who's that chick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even, not even a fag, but chick. Who's this chick? Come on. Yeah, what is that? Get, get a, bring us Wendy Williamson. But uh, that was such a huge honor. And what a big heart he had, you know. And, and always, always consistent. Always the same wonderful, lovely guy. And a great sense of humor, you know. I've like, heard that from a few people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was, I was just very lucky to have known him. And have great friendship we always had. Really, really missed the guy. Same with Steve Bader's dude. You know, he was, he's one of the best kept secrets in rock and roll. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I love the Dead Boys. Yeah, I love the, the Dead, Dead Boys. Boys. So I've, I've discovered them through a really weird roundabout way. There was the Beastie Boys song, an open letter to New York City after the Twin Towers incident, yeah. and they sample the guitar intro to Sonic Reducer. And that's when I first heard any of their music, was sampled by the Beastie Boys, and I was like, that's a really interesting riff. And I looked up on the album sleeve information who it was, and then discovered them and got young, loud, and snotty, and was like, wow, these guys, I need lunch. Yeah. That's... <laughs> yeah, but Lydia Lunch. I, I met Lydia Lunch once. Like Is that, that who it's about? I just assumed it was about like females yeah. in general. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's in general, but that uh, apparently inspired by inspired by yeah, Lydia Lunch. She was like a I don't know she was groupie or more like you know hanger on and you know shows yeah. and stuff. But uh, apparently, yeah. And it's Jimmy Zero who says "Feed me" in the end. It's Jimmy Zero apparently says that. Steve told me, but yeah, yeah. I mean that that whole first album. He's like. Steve was singing, he's like so possessed. Uh, he, um, uh, what brought him to London? What? what brought him to London? Uh, he was sick of America. Right. He just wanted to start over and he, he started seeing America in a different way when he was in London, you know. So, and he knew so much, he knew too much for his own good, for, about, you know, government secrets, all this, who really run the country and the Rockefellers. And he had, he had the Peter Peter, the audio letters in uh, that Wanderers album. You heard that one? No. Oh, it's got. Dave Tugano on bass and uh, the Wanderers were like, after Disconnected, he sold out on Disconnected. The Dead Boys, uh, when they finished, they had, uh, uh, he did the solo album, Disconnected, which is what really got me, I mean, I knew the Dead Boys, I loved them, but then that really was a special album for me. The last year, you know, and the Evil Boy, uh, I covered Million Miles Away on Nights Are So Long, you know, and I was a fan. Uh, Really, uh, to me, that was like, I had this, Epiphany of my, tw- uh, my nineteenth uh, birthday, turning twenty, twentieth uh, birthday. I uh, I was in a very high state of mind. Uh, I'd been up for many days, and uh, I was just like I got into the record store, and my friend Bjorn Froberg, who was the bass player for the Nomads, he was my best friend in Stockholm, eighty-two, and disconnected. I looked at the back cover, and Steve's eyes were like. 
it was like fire. I felt this warm wave go through me. I was like, my world stopped, and I was like, wow, this guy's for real. And yes, he has good record. And, no, no, you don't get it. You know, no, no, this is the real deal. I mean, this guy is. I put the headphones on. I was like, yeah, I'm an evil boy. And, wow, there's something about this guy, and I felt this spiritual connection. I walked out of the record store. And I was like, wow, now I'm. Everything made perfect sense. I had like this, you know, kind of epiphany. Uh, I had a. Which stayed with me since then, and it was amazing because later when I got to know Steve, and I was already a fan, we became the best of friends. And we, that time in '85 when we were living together, we used to sit up nights and uh, you know uh, stayed up many nights and uh, you know artificially perhaps, but also subconscious awareness. He came up with the best excuse <laughs> to the speed. <laughs> it's speeding is subconscious awareness. Because while our conscious state is asleep, we then realize, acknowledge our subconsciousness, which reveals to us things that we shelter from ourselves in our normally shelter, shelter from ourselves in our self-conscious cocoon. He says, write this down. Wait a minute, what was that? <laughs> so I wrote it. it says, Mike, 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 write this down. Okay. It's subconscious awareness. Okay. I think we're in trouble. You just came with the perfect excuse to stay up for weeks and weeks. You know, but What's your opinion on that, though, Michael, about the idea of perhaps revealing, in some instances, the true self, the true mind? I think that's all about uh, experimentation. That's what we're here for. And yeah, I mean, that's what we, as long as you move on and you don't get stuck, if you become, if you get hooked on a drug or something, then, then you're screwed because, you know, it doesn't accomplish anything. You just become a slave. Uh, you might as well be a slave to the system. Yeah. You know, because it's all about uh, learning. Our souls are here. We, I think we're here to learn, to evolve. And that thing with Steve was because we were such good friends that I, we, could, we could let our guard down and we didn't have to worry about being embarrassing ourselves or anything. I mean, I would, sometimes I would just talk and talk and then I'd stop and say, what did I just say? Steve said, you said this and this and this. I go, wow. I mean, I knew that, but I never realized. I mean, I had these moments of like, Clarity and epiphanies, uh, but with a really best friend, you can you can do that. Uh, and you know, I had my period of you know the LSD period in Stockholm back in you know maybe twenty thirty trips or something altogether in during a year or so. But then I had that actually that was that time when I had the stimulators, that whole epiphany, and I that's when I stopped. I I was I mean. You found the another, next night, another night and a day later, I was I had an out of body experience. I, I was walking in the streets and I I left my body. I was out in the, in the bright light, talking to my guardian angel, which actually was my higher self, and I felt so good. I felt like everything made perfect sense. And now I know my path in life. What I'm gonna if I get back into my body, then this is then I've seen this. Now I've been to the other side, like Jim Morrison's I break onto the other side. Yeah, that was I was there. So I was like, okay, now I've seen it. Because every time I'd taken the trip before, I used to open the curtain a little bit and see, almost get it all, but not quite, because there's always some distraction. We were at some disco or some, somebody's place, and someone was talking or playing music, or I couldn't like quite get there. And that time, I took enough trips. <laughs> I had the, uh, it was, there were Donald Truck, they had a, a Donald Duck uh, picture in, a, in little paper trips. You know, mm -hmm. the, I'm sure they weren't as strong as they had in the 60s, but still strong enough strong to enough. get there. And then I stopped. I never did it again. I saw that. You know, because so, you peaked. What? You peaked. Yeah, I peaked, and I uh, I learned what I needed to learn from that. And I don't recommend any drugs to anybody. I think people flip out and they're dangerous. You know, it's, it's a really uh, individual thing and. Whatever people need to do to to uh, get their kicks or get, I mean, it was like Lemmy said, 
his, his secret that he survived all these years was because uh, you know you had to go to the moon. You, you know, moderation. You, know, you knew exactly how to how much to take and how much not to take. But uh, with uh, with my uh, thing with Steve was uh, we we set up all those nights and so many. I mean, sometimes a window would slam. I was like, uh, uh, I mean, a door would slam and I'd say, oh, windows open. There's a draft, right? And Steve said, uh-uh, check it out. Now I just oh there was no window okay all right so there's stuff going on here and other dimensions that we don't see in this state that we're in now and uh, so that I call them the dead time stories Steve used to tell me the other stories okay, it was a bedtime but we were dead time we're like living dead and that's that song dead time stories oh wow at the end of uh, at the end of uh, there we I go can, yeah on the CD one there yeah if I can have the booklet I'll show yeah, sure. you within the lyrics I actually had these chords on a guitar when we lived together already. And when Steve died, I was, you know, support of, oh, this is, it's a lie. I'll get into that in a second. Uh, Dead Time Stories was, uh, I sat down and I wrote the lyrics. Uh, long, I was supposed to be, originally it was a love song, and it was called Star-Crossed Lovers. And then when Steve came to New York once, I was writing it about uh, my, my late wife at the time before we got together. But then Steve said, this song's about us, isn't it? Uh, oh, you could be right. Maybe it is. And then, as it turned out, it became Dead Time Stories, and in the, within the lyrics, there's about 15 stiff song titles. So now you left me too. Ain't it fun? There you go. Ain't nothing to do. Partners in crime was uh, was a mature song. So damn dead and alive, dead and alive. The second dead voice album. You were so ready anytime. Ready anytime was on the disconnected. Last year couldn't make up your mind. Last year make up your mind when disconnected. Now you're gone and it's cold outside. It's cold outside. It's a cover song he did. Dreams and desires. Was uh, a mature song. And uh, I know I know what I know. No one will do that. We know love can be like bondage. Is a line from Dance with Me, from uh, Blossom Village Church. Living on a bad luck charm. Bad luck charm was disconnected. Uh, it's too late to repair the harm. Uh, now Steve did a tribute to the New York Dolls called Little Boys Play with Dolls on the first Blossom Village Church album. He had the same concept. He has like the Babylon kids are just out looking for a kiss. You know, their song titles within the lyrics. And then, hey, Jet Boy, what you doing? Where are you going? What's your matter with you? Uh, what, uh, and he says. Yeah, what's the matter with you? Is it, don't you, uh, hey trash boy, don't you stop me talking about no dirty arm. Hey jet boy, it's too late to repair the harm, something like that. So it's too late to repair the harm. That line is the tie-in connection to that song. That's why that line is there. Love that. Right? Then uh, nothing more to say. You're a million miles away, a million miles away, disconnected. I won't look back, dead boys. Not anymore, dead boys. You know, and... Uh, I never believed this could happen, the Lords of Nature song. I never believed this could happen. I long to hear all, the, all those dead time stories. And um, they also, when Stibbs taught me, when we lived together, he taught me when I, I kind of stopped writing songs when Hanoi, at the beginning, early years of Hanoi, Andy always said, oh, I have a better one here. And so I kind of gave up on writing. So as a solo artist, that's when I really came onto my own as a songwriter. And Stibbs was saying, I said, well, I don't really know how to write. Just yeah, you sure you do. Check it out. No, I mean, it's easy. Take a, take a, few chords from a song like, say, The Grassroots, he loved The Grassroots, Where Were You When I Needed You, that song. Where were you when I... Oh, this guitar's on There we go. Totally out of tune. If you get a good one, I'm going to take a picture. <laughs> Try this. <laughs> well, any, any good? This looks the best. best. <laughs> Let's see. Oh. Ah, so, uh, so, uh, the, um, um, yeah, so he showed me how to take the chords. Of, I mean, we took the chords from uh, Where Were You When I Needed You. He had those chords, and uh, then, then um, 
She's got the harp out as well, ladies and gents. This has never happened mid-interview before. This is fantastic. Okay, cool. This is real. I like that. That's one of my middle names. This has never happened before. <laughs> uh, oh, there's something that's blocking this. This string is about a thousand years old. Anyway. See, they should be tuned and ready to go. Yeah. Not just ornaments on the wall. So he said, so please don't you go, don't you know, got to stay with me. So a different melody based on the same chords. So that lyric that he sang when he showed me that is, please don't you go, don't you know, got to stay with me. That's the reason those words are in the song. Amazing. <laughs> so, but, so that was my tribute to Stephen. I thought that was pretty, uh, was, uh, you know. Could we get a, a little mouth, mouth organ solo oh, as well? Certainly, yeah. time when we lived together, uh, Hannah and Roxham broke up, uh, CBS asked us to, uh, asked me to make some demos for them to decide whether they want to keep me on the label or not as a solo artist. So we, we picked up, we had one song was Seasonal Angel by uh, Heavy Metal Kids. I always wanted to cover that and uh, we arranged it a little bit simpler, you know, left some stuff out and really straight ahead rocker. Uh, the other one was uh, I Want to Be With You by the Raspberries, whom Steve loved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we just changed the lyrics a bit more like that. Oh, now that it's over, we're all alone and it's feeling so right. Like about me starting a solo career. And Steve was the one who really encouraged me and says, you know, okay, my, yeah, you could be solo. Uh, what would you rather be, Mike or Michael? What was Michael? It was originally, and that sounds better, right? Yeah, he agrees. <laughs> he's just, yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, he's, so I was, yeah, okay, I could be solo. But I had no plans other than just save Hanoi Rocks. Preserve the integrity, yeah. Yes, right? So then, and the third song was It's a Lie which was written by Jimmy Zero, a nice, beautiful ballad that Steve offered to Hanoi back in the, like the first times when we were here with Andy, when we moved to, we getting, um, when we moved to London, uh, one of the first people we got to know was Steve, you know, and he, uh, he uh, played It's a Lie to us, and he says, yeah, this song, you know, if you want to do this, and uh, I was like, yeah, it's cool, and Andy said, oh, I got a better one, <laughs> as usual, so then we never did it, but then there was no stopping me doing it then, and uh, uh, when me and Steve, uh, actually, the New Year's Eve, um, in 84, turning into 85, was, uh, we were jamming with London Cowboys, me and me and Andy were featured, uh, we were jamming on a couple of songs with the London Cowboys at the Greyhound Club, and then... Andy went off into the night with uh, Steve's at the time, his wife, and they were 
I remember Steve asked, do you think it's a smack or do you think they were in love? <laughs> no, I think it's a smack. <laughs> but, uh, but me and Steve went home to Steve's house and Steve was in the other room and he, we were playing the Disconnected album and uh, the last year was on and I was singing along with it. And he, Steve came into the room and said, oh, were you just singing? I said, yeah, you sound just like me. Of course I do. I can do a perfect Steve Bader's impersonation. A big fan, don't you get this? Wow, can you play that on the guitar? Yeah, yeah. The acoustic, we start singing harmonies. And Steve loved singing harmonies. So we had such a great time singing all these songs again. Even, you really got a hold on me and all yeah, 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 stuff, yeah. you know? So then, it's a lie. It's, this is the magical take. We did the demos. This was done in Redwood Studios in, uh, in London, in, um, near the, the theater uh, district. What was that? That little... Alley, back alley there. there. There's some Monty Python record, gold records on the walls. Some of them are made there too. So they like a truck studio. So we had a drum, Lynn drum machine, you know, at, at the time. And uh, we did those songs in that version of It's Alive, me and Steve singing, you know, the harmonies. It's, you can't really even separate which is which when we sing together. I'm singing the main note, and then when Steve comes in, he continues the main note, and I'm going into higher harmony. And this song, I was, Steve was supposed to produce the Nights Are So Long, Nights Are So Long album, but he couldn't make it to the studio because he had something happen. He drove into a shopping mall in a car or something and he got arrested. As did. Yeah, right? <laughs> Some, you know, stuff like that, you know, that happens every day, even now and then. So, to him. Yes. So he couldn't make it to the studio and that, therefore the version of It's a Lie that's on Nights Are So Long, it's not nearly as good as this. So I, I sang that on my, on my own. Is this available anywhere else? Or is this no, uh, actually, this was this was a bonus track on my album, on my P, uh, album "Peace of Mind," which is the first album I made after moving back to Finland in '95, '96. It came out, and on, as a bonus track for that, in 1999, it was released in Germany, and I think the American version has also as right. a bonus track. I want to be with you, and it's a lie from those demos. Uh, but this is the first time it's sort of internationally Yeah, this is the first time available. it's available internationally, and this is the better version. This is the magical Lee version of It's Alive, with me and Steve singing as a duet. This is the way it should have been on the album, Nights Are So Long. Nice. Uh, yeah. And Jimmy Zero, by the way, also wrote Nights Are So Long, and he was so, so chuffed, and Ian Hunter is playing the piano on this, you know, and kind of like... Tell me about that guy. Mother oh, Hoople is just such a, an incredible, hero. special band. Yeah, Mother Hoople and Ian Hunter's solo, I mean... I even like this solo album stuff uh, better than even... I mean, I was a big Mata Hoople fan, but his first solo album is one of my favorite albums of all time, produced by Mick Ronson and him. Uh, uh, Once Beaten, Twice Shy, I mean, that the sound of the album was just incredible. And uh, there's that song, Boy, that used to be like when I was in Stockholm back in my day, coming down, you know, from being up for, week, for days, and uh, I would just listen to the song, Boy, and, you know. You got to make a stand, so put the coke away. What was that? Uh, you, uh, you're, uh, you know, the, the lyrics are really, um, even though I wasn't doing coke, I was doing speed, poor man's coke. I couldn't afford that. But <laughs> no, no, let's uh, skip the drug talk, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Ian Hunter is a hero. He's one of the greatest composers of all time. Uh, to me, it's like up there with Bob Dylan and, uh, you know, people like that. I mean, he really... Uh, great, the accent he has, I love this. Hello, Michael, how are you doing, man? All right? And it, it's just like so cool the way he sings. He also has the accent. And uh, that first album, was, I still have it in the studio as a reference for great drum sounds, you know, authentic uh, analog style. The drums and the plane and Ronson, them two producing. I mean, mind you, they produced uh, Ellen Foley, you know, the American singer. Her album, Night Out. That's produced by Hunter Ronson, and, and that's one of my favorite albums too. It's, uh, it's got, you know, what's, what's the matter, baby? And 
great stuff. Uh, those two were, uh, they had a magical connection. But uh, the first Hunter album and uh, his later stuff too, I mean, he's, he's always renewed himself and I think he should be more, he, he should be more uh, uh, appreciated and more famous now in the world today. Where's he living these days? Do you know? In America. In America. In, yeah, in Connecticut. I've got to get him on this show. I'd love to talk to him. Yes, yeah, you have to, because he's still touring. Yeah, yeah, know? I know. And, and he's been here, and he's, he's get, only getting better. I mean, he's got amazing amounts of hit songs. Really uh, incredible composer. And I had uh, him uh, on the Nights Are So Long album. Uh, he was also good friends with uh, Craig Getch, uh, my friend who produced the album with me. And uh, Craig had been his best man at his wedding and stuff. Several really close friends, so so Ian and I met Ian uh, with uh, Bob Ezrin brought him into the studio because we with Hanoi we wanted him to produce Back to Mystery City uh, and he declined at the time uh, for whatever reason uh, he didn't have the time and I guess he wasn't interested enough at, but uh, uh, we, so therefore we got Over and Watts and uh, Buffin uh, Dale Griffin from uh, Mother Hoople uh, which is great too but then Bob Ezrin brought. Uh, Ian Hunter into the studio when we were making not uh, Twisted from the Move album and we needed some lyrics for I Can't Get It, All About Broken Dreams and Underwater World, those three songs. He took the backing tracks back home, uh, the demos that we gave him in the studio and uh, he, uh, he said yeah he'll get back to us in about a week or so but he had gone home and he was so inspired he wrote the lyrics the same night, he had them the ne next day, I like, right okay on. I got them and it was brilliant, fantastic and uh, so it was such a great thrill and Ezra knew how much we we uh, worshipped uh, in Hunter, so he thought it would be a great thrill for us to have him in the studio too. And I was wondering, because I remember Andy, Andy had a little, you know, New York, and I had a little Coke bottle there. With well, the spoon. With the spoon, so he's like, hey, you want to hit mates? And Ian was like, oh, no thanks. Well, just, you, you go ahead. So I was like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> like, but maybe that inspired him to write, because the lyrics for Boulevard of Broken Dreams is a double meaning, you know. It's like a love song, supposedly, for teeny boppers. But it's about, you know, it's a co affair with the Snow Queen. Like cocaine, you know, all those broken dreams have made me see that I'm strung out. Somebody rescue me. Do I have to tell you that I love you? Do I have to tell, show you that I care? Do I have to tell you that I need you to be there in the middle of the night when I'm much too weak to fight? You know, you're such a welcome sight in the middle of the night. You know, talk so bad and I act so mean. I gotta get back on my feet. You know, that song uh, has the lyrics if you look at it, you know, in that point of view, it's also it's a double meaning, and I love stuff like that. So I was wondering about whether it was inspired by Andy offering him a spoon, <laughs> you know. But however, that was genius, brilliant lyrics, and uh, mind you, back to Mr. City album, we asked Prince to produce that. Really? Originally, yeah. Not many people know that. Wow. Yeah, and... Uh, our Did manager, you ever meet Prince? No. No? But uh, I never got to meet him, but my manager, uh, that was after it was, uh, 1999 album or something. So that based on that record, I said, yeah, that'd be cool to see what he could do with us. Imagine you and Prince in a room together. That would have been amazing, I'm sure. But uh, he declined, and his answer was, he don't produce no white boys. <laughs> I guess you have to respect that, right? Well, I guess it's his well, own. Didn't have a choice. I was kind of surprised. Artistic vision. Yeah, well, a little prejudice, but, yeah. you know, uh, so what are you going to do? Just because I'm white, how come you treat me like a... You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like uh, Johnny Thunder said. Uh -huh. But uh, I was surprised. Uh, but it was a cool, a cool idea. It could have been great. But uh, just a little trivia information there, yeah, you know. But uh, tell me about Guns and Roses, Michael, and the times that you spent in the studio with those guys. Well, there's also the Steve Bader's connection because uh, we, um, I, uh, Axel came up. Uh, just he happened to be in New York when we were shooting a video for Dead Jello Rock and Roll. 
and Uptown SIR out on the street, and uh, he had just he was walking by, and he, he asked what's going on here, and somebody said Michael Monroe shooting video, so he came to introduce himself. So apparently they were big fans of Hanoi, and uh, so then during the shoot, I, uh, he seemed to be into the song, and we started talking, and I, I guess that I, I could tell by his, his singing style that he liked Nazareth, you know, like that McCafferty, you know? and he didn't know, not faking it, was a Nazareth song because it was on Loud and Proud. That album wasn't that big in the states apparently, so. He said, "Oh, now I like." He had heard the, you know, pre uh, a copy of the cassette of the uh, of the um, of the album. So he said, "Oh, now I like it even more because it's a Nazareth song, it's the title track." And then uh, we got along real well. He's a really nice guy, and uh, it, it, so I asked him if you want to you want to come up and sing, even though Little Steven sings the backing vocal on the song. Uh, says you want to come up and do a couple of takes with us, you know, for the video. And uh, sure, you know, so he came he came up and uh, then. As nice a guy as he was, he let us use it for uh, the video. He had a little cameo at the end of the video there, which, which got me more fame. And uh, maybe uh, I got him a little bit more street credibility with my own punky way, whatever. <laughs> but uh, it worked. Mutually mostly. beneficial. Yeah, mutually beneficial yeah. and uh, great, uh, you know, friendship started from We had a great friendship. We really liked him uh, as, a, as a friend. He had a great, uh, we had great conversations, really highly, you know, uh, evolved uh, spiritually, you know, some heavy stuff that we talked about and uh, really interesting, interesting uh, personality. And he has really, uh, really smart and uh, a lot of a lot of stuff uh, that uh, you know spiritually, I'd say. Uh, uh, I mean, he had to tell me stories like there was a gig they did when somebody all of a sudden during the middle of a show somebody pushed him from behind like and, and he went like he like was thrown at, thrown forward like like really uh, strongly and then they looked on the video and they saw it happen but there was nobody there. I was like, wow, man, you got to have some serious demons chasing you, man. Wow, that's heavy, <laughs> heavy stuff. And, you know, I'm sure with other friends, they have other com kind of conversations, but I'm always interested in stuff like that. So we had really cool conversations. And always when he came to New York, he would always, you know, call and we'd go out to dinner. Never late, always a gentleman, fantastic. You know, really, I have nothing but good things to say about him. So then uh, when I was going to... Play some sax on that song, Bad Obsession. Some harp and sax they asked me to play on the Use Your Illusion album, the Bad Obsession song. Uh, Axel told me on the phone that he had never heard the Dead Boys. So I said, Wow, well, I got to tape you something. I made a tape for the, you know, the first album and the best of the second. And, uh, we were listening to the tape in Hollywood driving around in his car, and, he's, and he heard Ain't It Fun. I was like, wow, we've got to do this song. We're doing a cover album. Uh, doing, they were still, they were already working on the Spaghetti Incident. So I was like, Yes. Let's do this as a duet. Said, really? Wow. Like in memory of Steve Bader's? Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. So we could have Steve's name on the album cover and mention that in memory of Steve Bader's? Yeah, absolutely. And he was even planning a video for it, but that, that didn't work out. But still, you know, that was the first single of the album. And really magical. We, we ended up, uh, you know, we did it in the studio, uh, did the vocals, I split the lyrical lines. Uh, he had the. Uh, he loved that line in front when you tell her she's just a uh, see you on next Tuesday. <laughs> he, said it, he said it so clearly. I'm, I'm sure that you know they had to bleep it in the in the, the single version. The radio my edit, line, yeah. yeah, radio. Edit. But my line was just like any fun when you've broken up every band that you ever begun. That that was my line, definitely at the time, at least. 
And it was magical. I put, like, with Steve, we used to, you know, have candles around us in the studio. We sang together, like, in July, we did together. And Steve had, you know, some rituals. He, he said some words. I don't know what it was, but still, at the same time. Get thing. that magic. Yeah, right. magic, exactly. And uh, had the, um, sang it live, you know, face to face. And it was really magical. In places, he sounds so much like Steve, even. When he says, and if I feel like you just got to get a gun. It's just like Steve. So it was a trio, not only a duet. Three of us there, and funny stuff. After we'd done the vocal, I went went to the back of the studio. There was a piano. I was sitting there for a while, and you know, and then all of a sudden, the two pinball machines. There were Rolling Stones and Kiss pinball machines, and they'd start going like, cling, cling. He goes, "Wow!" By themselves. So I, I asked Axel, uh, "Do those machines go up?" When I get back into the control room, I says, "Do those pinball machines go off by themselves?" Oh no, never. Okay. Well, I just heard him go cling, cling, and then I was, well, that must be, hello, Steve. Uh, and maybe Steve got his wings, because they say uh, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. It's a wonderful life. Yes, it's a wonderful yeah. life. So Axel said, oh, that must be the sweetest thing I've ever heard anybody say about anybody. Sweet. And then on my way back to New York, I was taking the red eye flying from L.A. to New York, so, and I was kind of falling asleep, and then uh, half, half asleep, and then I kind of came to I asked the stewardess, we're, we're, how far are we from New York? So, oh, we're right about Cleveland right now. That's where still of course the from. From, yeah, yeah, so it's like a little sign, you know, things like that. But yeah, and I was so happy that Steve's name could be seen. I didn't want anything from. I didn't want any money for that. I only got the session fee for the sax and the harp. I wanted to make sure that the song ended up on the album because I heard some of those old bands, you know, got a little greedy. Oh, the Bank of Guns and Roses. Oh, this is big money. Even my manager at the time says, "Okay, let me negotiate the deal." I says, "You stay the hell away from this. You're not going to touch this thing. I don't want any money. I just want to make sure that they don't think I'm greedy or anything, and just that Steve's name could be seen on the album." All I wanted was in memory of Steve Bader's and spell my name right <laughs> and that's it and it ended up there and it was the first single yeah and it was so great also in kudos to axel yes thank you axel god bless you i mean so so cool of him to do that and that and he said also when he wrote an album that do yourself a favor find out the original versions and the, the original bands educating people about great music great yeah. rock and roll and that's so important and at the end of a usual illusion album they had a line any fun skip baiters referring to the what's to come it was on the next album which is based on the what queen used to do in queen on the queen albums the first album right. had seven seas of rye instrumentally starting and fading out then the second album they had the whole song and it ends with uh we'll like to be about seaside see and then the next album she a heart attack starts off with the uh, you can hear noises from a, a, a amusement park or something and then someone's whistling with the same melody connecting to the previous album I love stuff like that do you so. feel like a lot of that's gone from music now oh yeah yeah I don't think uh, people don't do like albums like that album after album those kind of concepts are pretty much uh, you don't see it that much anymore it's a shame right yeah it is a shame because and apparently on the first uh, Guns N' Roses album it says that one line uh, which your bitch slap rapping uh, bitch, bitch slap rap, rapping and, and your cocaine, cocaine time, get time. nothing done yeah. that was the line in uh, You Could Be Mine and the album that was to come so that was the tie in from the first album to the next yeah so that was yeah stuff like that doesn't happen anymore these days much and uh, like a lot of stuff like like melodies don't happen much anymore <laughs> I mean that, that's that's one thing that was so cool about what I liked about Led Zeppelin, they only made albums. They didn't hardly have any singles ever. I don't think they did put out a single, did they? Not even. Yeah, yeah even Living Love You Made. That was not a single. 
I guess not. Maybe not in yeah, probably the UK. I, I seem to remember that they had no singles, only albums. Yeah. That was so cool. That was great. Yeah, times have changed, but, uh, you know, there's still good stuff. And I, I'd say uh, I hope and think that maybe someday people will just get tired of not having melodies. Cause good music always comes through. And after, over the years, it's a test of time. It proves that that stuff is, you know, it lives. I mean, any, any of these songs today... I wonder how many people will remember them from 10 or 20 years from now. I mean, some of this stuff that just has like talking and melodies are, you know, they're nice and they're, that makes you recognize the song and remember it. And that's what music's about to me, you know. It's, I'm not saying only about some of this rap stuff, but uh, I mean, I love original, the Sugar, Sugar Hill Gang, the uh, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, White Lines, I know that Well, you heart. were there, right, as all that was kicking yeah, off Yeah, the message, when, I, when we moved to London, that was around the time where you hear the message everywhere. It's like a jungle sometimes, it makes you wonder, okay, we're going to London. <laughs> street some, poetry, right? Street poetry, it had a message, right? And punk had the same thing, it's like Bob Dylan, he brought the edge to, the rock, to rock and roll with his lyrics and telling the truth, you know, telling truths and raising questions and making, writing lyrics that mean something, that had some, uh, some content and uh, something to say and you know it's entertainment rock and roll is entertainment just having a good time and uh, all that but you don't have to switch your brain off to enjoy it you know you should actually you should not you should be aware of what's going on around you and uh, rock and roll and rockers i think uh, have a lot to say not uh, i mean there's a lot of phony rock and roll which is a crime and a lot of them have become huge also and millions of fans can be wrong and usually, usually are. Amen. Right? So uh, some of the greatest stuff is uh, that should be found, but you've got to look for it. And, uh, and it's still there, and you'll recognize it when you see it and hear it. And I think that's, to me, that's what I'm trying to do. Keep, keep doing, uh, keep trying to get better at what I do. And uh, you're never good enough, luckily. So you always, that keeps me hungry. And uh, having stuff like, stuff happen, like people appreciate bands like, you know, the Foo Fighters and, you know, inviting me up on stage and having them, you know, speak highly of me, uh, appreciate what I do, a lot of people, and of course the fans, but that kind of stuff keeps me going, because, uh, you know, you don't always have to be the biggest and the richest and the most famous, you know, you can still be, uh, you know... Respected, right? Respected, yeah, the Liked. integrity. Yes, it's the integrity, it's all about integrity, being for real, being honest and authentic, and singing from the heart, playing from the heart. Uh, a lot of people play from the wallet and you can always tell you know before too long you can see it and you can fool some people some of the time but not not forever so so um but you can't fool all the people all the time right yeah that's it the bob, bob molly or whoever whoever said that was so true so true so uh but i think um i'm happy with now looking back on the career 30 years of solo uh i think i've had a quite Good career. I mean, bad luck. A lot of bad luck. Started with from Hanoi Rocks on to, you know, really had didn't have the best breaks. But I'm not complaining. I still, I'm, I still take, stay true to myself and maintain my integrity. And I can look in the mirror and with good conscience and with uh, with a good conscience and uh, sleep my nights well. I, I, my sleep is untroubled. I wish everyone else the same. <laughs> yeah. You're a true original, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. This has been fantastic. I could talk to you all day. We'll have to do another one of these sometime. Yes, absolutely. There's loads more still to discuss, but yeah, I feel like that's a nice I know. moment. To, yes, but thank you. Wrap. Yes, cool. Thanks so Sorry. much. And if you want to say that uh, the best, Michael Monroe, the best album, the 30, the three X's are the Roman 30, you know. 30 years. Yeah, so got actually 
previously unreleased songs. There's Fist, um, Fistful of Dynamite and Simple Town are outtakes from the last album. Get On is a uh, bonus track in Japan uh, that was in, uh, on Horns and Halos. Uh, uh, also, the It's a Lie with Steve Bader's is that special. Uh, One Foot Out of the Grave, new single. Uh, Magic Carpet Ride. Did Rich write some of these new ones with you as well? Rich wrote, yeah, Rich wrote The One Foot Out of the Grave. Right Rich. on. That's him. Right on. Yes. And yeah, Magic Carpet Ride, that we. Uh, that featuring was Featuring Slash. Featuring Slash, yes. I mean, that's another thing. I mean, that's maybe it's like karma coming back from, you know, they're not any fun. I didn't want nothing for that. Slash allowed me to use that. Such a sweet guy. Such a big heart. He's the sweetest. Um, you know, I figured uh, we did that uh, Cornheads movie soundtrack. I mean, it was Slash's project, and he asked me to sing on it. And I brought in Sammy Alpha on bass, and he had Kenny Iron on front drums. I mean, what a killer band that was. Dizzy Reed is playing keyboard. And on that verse, on this version, uh, actually, Izzy Stradling was in the studio. He's singing the backing vocal there. Sammy sings on the one that was released because uh, we made two versions, right? And the new arrangement was, you know, I was, I had worked on, Little Steven uh, also had a little to do with that. When we were in New York, uh, he had, uh, we kind of reworked the chords and it became quite different, but I suggested that to Slash and he says, oh, that's a cool idea too, uh, you know, to make it into something new. So, because uh, we originally, he was going to just do it like the original pretty much. So we decided to do both versions. And see which one. Uh, so Slash decided that uh, let's give it, give both to see, see which one the label will, will pick, and then uh, they chose the new arrangement. But the other version was never used. I had it on. Um, uh, we had recorded it, and I had it on a seat on, on a audio cassette for ever since 1993. Probably the only version that there was in existence, and I had. You got to keep stuff like that safe, Michael. Yeah, I, I do, do. I do. I've got a lot of cassettes, <laughs> and I now realize that. Well, I changed changed it into digital form, and uh, you know, just to have it safe. But I've yeah. never given it to anybody. I've guarded it with my life all these years, and then I asked Slash, uh, like mean, a pirate with his treasure, right? Yeah, I, I, quite a few things like that, and um, so I said, Slash. Uh, it's probably going to be a huge ordeal to try to negotiate, uh, get some kind of, I mean, whatever, you know, uh, legal stuff to uh, get me to use it. They said, hey, all you have to worry about is pay, paying the songwriters for the publishing. Go ahead, you can use it. Said, wow, I love you. You're the best. <laughs> so this version is, because it was a cool version. I said, it would be, a, basically I told him it would be a shame if it was never released in any form whatsoever, because it's such a cool version. And it's a great jam in the end there with Kenny Aronoff. I mean, what a drummer. Really, really a cool, cool thing too. And Slash is such an, such an important person in my whole, whole career also. Be close, right? Yeah, very close uh, throughout the years. And every time we meet, I mean, we don't meet that often. But when we do, it's like we've seen yesterday, you know. He's one of those kind of friends. And uh, so he's so sweet to allow me to use it on this I think we made the compilation perfect, and you know there's 29 songs, and someone said, "Why is it? Why isn't it 30? Because 30 years." <laughs> I didn't even think of that. You didn't even think about because, it because yeah. uh, you know because it's perfectly flawed. It's like yeah, everything, yeah, all yeah. the best things are. <laughs> That's fantastic. Cool, well, Michael. Let thank me take you. a picture of you looking just like the eternal rock star that you are right now. <laughs> thank you. Those guitars are so out of so like I don't know. Let's try another one. See yeah, uh, if they're in tune or what? I want to get that Hanoi Rocks tattoo there. Okay, well. that's the fucking shit right there. Fantastic. Look Got it? Look at that. Cool. Flawless. Yeah. Flawless. Flawless. <laughs>
Dude, that was amazing. I had an incredible See, yeah, time. Man. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you. I and really let's enjoyed do a part it. two sometime for sure. Absolutely. You got it. I'm on. I'm there. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.